Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 24, and I'm joined by returning guests Norm Wilner and Mark Weingust, as well as newcomers Warren Sonoda, who is a director of films like SquareNet, Cooper's Camera, or Cooper's Christmas, depending on when and how you saw it. Um, he's also a director of many, many television shows, including Trailer Park Boys, Odd Squad, Backstage, a whole ton of stuff. Also joining us is Christopher Ware Schmetz, who made a film called The Last Hitman, and he's also one of the best behind-the-scenes filmmakers around. He does a ton of stuff for Orphan Black. Um, if you have the discs for Take This Waltz or Order the Steel and you sell the behind-the-scenes stuff, that was my boy Chris. And we're all going to sit down and watch a film together. Okay, so we're sitting down in Norm Wilner's coach house, is that what we're going to call it? I call it the studio. The studio to the, watch... The 19- film den. The film den. <laughs> den of iniquity. To watch 1941. So we'll go around uh, the room and introduce ourselves and say whether or not we've seen the movie. So I'm Jeremy. I have not seen the movie. Uh, I'm Norm. I have seen it a lot. A million times. <laughs> My name is Mark. I've seen the first 40-ish minutes of the extended cut. <laughs> Well, that's very specific. <laughs> and then you tapped out. I tapped out. I got bored. Really? Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. No, I have the I have the DVD. I started watching it, and then at a point, I, I don't know whether it was I was going to sleep or I got bored of it. I just stopped. I haven't revisited it since. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Strange, I know. Yeah. I want to actually say I saw this in the theater with this my Warren. brothers. My, I'm Warren. I want to say I saw it, and I, I, I don't know if I did or not, but I certainly saw it. Uh, on uh, on VHS when it was uh, when it was out and uh, but I haven't seen it in years probably t- 12 14 years something like that long time yeah I'm Chris and I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through well I've seen it on TV as a kid I saw it like a Sunday right. or a Saturday afternoon like ABC airing with commercials and, and edited obviously mm-hmm. and then I've seen you know a bit of it I think on cable TV once and then a, a chunk of it on Netflix about five, six years ago, but I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it right. from beginning to end. You know, I, thought I, was, I think I saw it on TV too. Yeah. Like, like probably the same time the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. Is, right. Like, for some reason, I just remember those two they kind of paired together. It's a good double bill. It's pretty good, yeah. 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 The Both whole submarine kind of and... frenzies and... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we're only when watching bits and pieces. This isn't I've seen well. it. I've okay. seen it. No, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it a whole bunch of times. I saw it at the... God, I saw it at the Eaton Center a lot like three or four times trying to study it and understand it because it was well we'll talk about this afterwards I'm sure but I had never seen anything like it and, it is, <laughs> and that is not a positive but oh. <laughs> it was just one of those things where you could kind of go back I was like 11 right and it was something that I want to understand why this movie is the way it is because uh-huh. it's coming from the people that it was coming from yeah it yeah. should work and it's doing something else yeah. interesting and, yeah I will say that no matter what, I think it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I think about, I do think about it a lot. I've thought about buying the Blu-ray and, and before that the DVD for a while, and just haven't gotten around to it. So it's actually a fun way to revisit it. Yeah, yeah. All I know is that it's a comedy. Yes, or, or trying <laughs> yes. to be. The way your voice goes up at the end, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> okay, great. It's a comedy, and and John and Candy's in it. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And Belushi. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's in it. In Pretty it. much okay. everybody Aykroyd, working Lafone, in Lee. Oh, the great. Ca- oh, yeah. The cast is unbelievable. Slim Pickens. I know nothing in that other than that it's about a year. Yeah. Right. Well, funnily It's a war enough, movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched Dunkirk, so my expectations it are is, super low. It is not yeah. Dunkirk. It's no, not. it's exactly like Dunkirk. <laughs> but you know, this, I will say this, is that the reason, one of the reasons why Norm and I were talking about it, and then we circled back to trying to do a Black Hole Films about it, was because Norm and I were chatting and I said, you know, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, to your podcast, to Black Hole Films yet. Get the fuck out. At that point, at that point, no, now I've listened to a whole bunch and I love it. But there was, I, I had like, I think the first day it came out, I just was scanning through it and I stopped and there, you guys were in Casablanca. Yeah. And literally I stopped and somebody said, when did the U.S. enter World War II? And everyone's like, oh, I don't know. And then let me Google it. I'm going, guys, what? It's 1941. And then, and then I was like, I can't listen to this. I don't, I, what's going on? Why don't they know? That's what I want. I want people screaming at me in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> nerds never, going, you yeah, dumb yeah. shit. Why don't you know the, the answer? I, I love the fact that you go to the internet at least once. I know. So I, I know. I think that's I great. Every podcast does. Oh, there's I'm, stuff yeah, that yeah. I don't know and I kind of have For to sure. love sometimes. I'm interested to see... Just how the depiction of the Japanese is now that I'm older. Oh, than I was when I was younger. it's not going to be good. No, it's not good. But <laughs> I, I haven't even seen was, but that. It's it, it'll be interesting to see how I react to it because it's it you know, it's it's a it's a different time now than it was when I was a kid, and I want to know what my relationship with that sort of thing is now. My reaction to it. It's your gut instincts. Yeah, because it. it, it's probably longer than twelve years I've seen. It's probably more like twenty. Wow. Like to be really honest, I. I I can't remember the last time it, it was. I was back home at my mom and dad, so that meant I was at least in high school. So it's been a, it's been a while. It's been Exciting, a while. yeah. All right, so let's just dig in then, because I don't, I don't want to know too much more. You can't spoil <laughs> the film. You can't really spoil because it's it. kind we of indescribable. We know, we know how. We know how it, yeah, <laughs> it's like the Matrix. No one can tell you what 1941 is. Yeah. You have to see it for yourself. <laughs> all, right. all right. On that note, let's dive in. All right. Let's all go to the lobby. Alright, so it's over. Is it? Well, I don't know. I first of all, how the fuck is there half an hour more of that? <laughs> In the extended ex- edition. Yeah. It feels I, like there's some things there's some connective tissue missing though. Yep. Yeah. I think the real question is, how is there only half an hour? Right. <laughs> it just right. seems like it would never have ended. We're all getting situated. Uh, there are so many subplots in this film. It like it all builds up, and you still don't care about anybody at the end. <laughs> you really don't. It's God. Like where do you start? I'm trying. There's so much to talk about. Well, this was your and yet experience. so little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it for you? It's fucking terrible, <laughs> but it's not either because. Like, it, like the money that's just like yeah. thrown into a hole with this movie. Like they they knock a house over a cliff. They drive through a paint factory <laughs> and insane. a turpentine factory. And a turpentine. <laughs> <laughs> to clean it up, it like that USO scene was phenomenal. But that's just Spielberg and his amazing amazing staging. Yeah, yeah. you know. 
And it's the seeds, like you were saying, for Club Obi Wan and uh, Temple yeah. Doom. Right? There's a like, whole bunch of stuff in there. There's, yeah. there's a, in, during the during the tank through the paint shop, there is the shot of Indy running away from the boulder. Yeah. It's just a, t- a guy running away from the tank. Right. Yeah. It feels like a, like a ton of stuff has been seeded the in this movie. The T Rex, Park Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. bizarre. A thing. lot of Back to the Future sort of. A yeah. lot of planted. Feels like a lot of like sort of, uh, sort of embryonic Zemeckis and Gale because they wrote this for those who who you know yeah with John Milius who wrote Apocalypse Now, <laughs> which comes out which the same year sense. Yeah. as Apocalypse Now. That combination kind of makes sense. Yeah, it in this case, does. I well, you were saying about the that it's terrible, but it's also not because I think Spielberg is like basically too good a filmmaker on an instinctual level to deliver an unwatchable movie. There's stuff in it that is gorgeous. There's expensive stunt work. There's model work that's actually pretty convincing. Incredible model work. Yeah, miniature stuff's amazing. And then the rest of it is just this screaming psychotic break that won't stop. (laughs) Where, you know, somebody has to yell or something has to explode or something has to yell while somebody explodes. Or else, you know, you can't call cut. You can't call cut until something happens. It's almost like if the opening title cards had said only the worst soldiers were left in California. Right. Yes. <laughs> then the movie like, oh, this makes sense. We're watching right. the worst parts of the army left behind. I mean, the, the, the concept is, is a great premise. The idea that they want to go after Hollywood and this is all that's left to protect them, but it's just... You like, can't articulate it. I, I think it shows that Spielberg is really good at the spectacle and of... Um, uh, set pieces and staging and, and you know moving the camera but he, he just doesn't have a feel for the comedy could you imagine a bad a director doing this movie well, the, weird, <laughs> the weird thing about that is is that Spielberg's movies are always funny they always have comedy in as them as a second as layer. a second yeah. as a second layer but, but when it comes it, out of the characters and the situation yes and it's Somehow it's organic. Like Raiders is funny. Jaws sure. is funny. Because you care about well, you first you care about the characters, yeah, and then you put them in those situations where they're funny. But this is, I, I it seeing it again just shows how there's a disconnect. It's, like like what you're saying, it's like there's spectacle, there's all this stuff, but there's a disconnect to the actual it, it being comedy. There's something numbing about it. There's something numbing from the very beginning about it. I don't, I'm not sure what that is. Is it just more the tone of it? Because it doesn't It doesn't feel exactly like a comedy. It is in itself a period piece, and I enjoy it for that. Mm. However... That's I, how you enjoy it? I enjoy it. I'm a sucker for well, period I think, pieces. I think it's actually a spoof. I think he was just very blatantly... Making, making a war spoof. Going out to make a war yeah. spoof. Yeah. Just from the opening Jaws um, sort of uh, well, that, homage. Is that the to, first time that Jaws was ever parodied? No, because I think Airplane had yeah, done it. No, no, but Airplane was 80. Oh, yeah. Airplane 80? It's yeah. possible. Oh. I mean, certainly he would have been the one to do it, right? Yeah. Like, no one else would. Especially with the music. Well, that's, yeah. I, and and the I have, same actor. Yeah, yeah. That, that I find fascinating, that, he, that two, two movies away, he's already parodying himself. Not just with the Jaws opening, but also they get the, there's a woman from uh, Duel. When Belushi pulls the plane into the gas station, right. the woman in, it's the same woman who in Duel is at a gas station. She's got a bunch of rattlesnakes, so it's like he and he and he in the documentary on the on the Blu-ray he talks about that as being a very conscious choice to sort of like homage himself, which I think is it's interesting that now when he's as he's doing Ready Player One, he made the uh, the conscious choice to, to remove himself out, right. from the from the equation. Yeah. Maybe because now he knows <laughs> that's the yeah. It can only end in tears. What do you mean by that? Remove himself the equation. He he made a conscious choice to take any Spielberg references that were in the novel of Ready Player One out uh, of the movie, with a couple of exceptions, with the exception of like the DeLorean 
but she right. didn't, didn't direct How anyway. How old was Spielberg when he did this? How old would he be? Wow. This? Yeah. 30s? Yeah. Early 30s? 31. Because he was 27 when he made Jaws. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years later. How many yeah. collaborations with Zemeckis and Gale was he already with at this point? Because I think the year before he had I Want to Hold Her Hand. Right, he, he produced, produced that. A lot of yeah, he stuff. produced that. Yeah. And Used Cars, I think, was already underway. And that would have been... When yeah. they started this. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, it feels like that sort of the, the young director trying to figure his way through something. Yeah. Give him way too much money. And way but, too and, much yeah. sort of... Ability to, to craft it. Yeah. And so. it, it's amazing to think about Jaws as a movie made out of restriction mm-hmm. when they're, the shark isn't working, they don't have a lot of money, and they just keep trying to find a way to, stall, to solve it. And then Close Encounters is this gargantuan, incredibly confident production. Yeah. And then there's this where, oh, whatever you want, Stephen, we'll make this work. And this comes out. Like, this is what happens when he has everything. Yeah. And, and it just. Oh, he doesn't have a feel for him. Yeah, like, what's the... I mean... Where do I even start? <laughs> you still in shock. In the beginning, Jeremy. The listener is hearing you process this movie in real time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just... It's, you know, it's all the things that movies of that era are. It's, you know, it's blatantly misogynist yep. and racist. And, I mean, there's just... And then, and not that it's ever forgivable, but... There's so much other stuff going on that you're going, well, of course that's in there, too. Mm. Like, of course there's... Although there's, like, the blackface, whiteface joke, and it almost uh, forgives itself. Yeah. In the, in the, it's such a weird bit. Yeah, it's because when it ends, there's the one line you didn't expect. It's yeah, they get to the back of the tank. Which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. Well, uh, back to you. Like we, we talked at the beginning, Warren. Like, how did you feel about the Japanese stuff? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because I have, you know... I was trying to actually remember the last time I saw this fully, other than seeing it on reruns and TV, and it it must have been when I was still living at home in my, at my mom and dad's in Hamilton, um, seeing it on on like a you know NBC movie of the week or whatever, and I think what's really interesting because I'm I'm Japanese I'm a Canadian Japanese um, uh, young man. And, um, is to, is to know that it, it explains a lot about how I probably formulated, formulated my place in the world seeing movies like this. Right. Because when you don't see yourself represented in any sort of realistic way, you start to gravitate towards the heroes you want to be. You, namely white Caucasian male heroes of right. Spielberg movies, you know, the, the, the Indiana Jones, or you know, even in this movie, I probably identified more with uh, Belushi. Uh, no, not Belushi. <laughs> probably the the Bobby DeChico's character, the, the dance guy, yeah, yeah. right? Like you, you start to, you start to wonder. Well, how did I, as a young kid, how did I distance myself from the 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 trope of the Japanese, the the yellow menace coming yeah. in, and and then I realized, oh. That was installed by my parents to assimilate as quick as possible, so I didn't get beat up at school, yeah. or I wasn't, you know, um, uh, put out into the world of racism and bigotry by becoming part of, you know, my group, my right. my people at at school, the 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 cool kids or or whatever. But watching it now, I'm like, wow, what what? No wonder the world seems so different. When you start to know what how it works, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just a weird, it's a it's a weird experience seeing something like this. And same with uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's when I saw it as an adult. Yeah. Oh God, which was which was like, wow, why did I find that funny as a kid? I, because I didn't associate myself as a as a as a Japanese Canadian. I I was a Canadian when I watched it, which is which is weird. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys. Um, know what I'm talking I'm, I'm oh, sitting yeah. in a white room by yeah, the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, it's funny because I, I'm thinking back I've known you a long time yeah. I remember first meeting you because you would have been like 1920 yeah. and uh, you would almost make self-reflexive jokes about your culture yeah yeah. And and it was almost like and and even at that point it would have been like early nineties there was almost a bit of like a, a feeling of like it dropping a bit of a bomb into where I'm like whoa he's he's you know he's kind of making a joke that would have been you know the white people would have made like twenty thirty years ago as, not as a joke either but right as, but as, as a way as a yeah. way of almost to shake to disarm it yeah. exactly. but I think growing up as a fat kid it's like if I make a fat joke that's super funny you can't beat me right right, right. I've got right. my own yeah. armor right. yeah. exactly but you know watching watching something like this. You wonder really what was the time like for that this is all okay. Spielberg, that this is all okay to him yeah. mm-hmm. because he's so respected now he in made terms Schindler's of his taste. List. Yeah, yeah. Only you know, fourteen, years, 14 later. years later, yeah. He made the color purple six years later. Yeah, yeah. that's, ama- that's time, pretty amazing to me, actually. Yeah. As as a filmmaker, I realized that one has to go out and try stuff, and you don't know, like you, the fact that. Movies turn out to be good is a testament a lot of times to a whole bunch of things going the right way. And luck, yeah. And and a lot of times, more often than not, things turn out like 1941. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which oh, is... never. One <laughs> <laughs> of you said while we were watching it, this is Spielberg's Why Not movie. I think it was you, yeah. Chris. I think it was... No, I think it was... Yeah, it was like, why yeah, not try yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try it. Dan, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah why, why don't you just be like completely fucked up for the rest of the movie? Yeah, from getting hit in the head. Put those oranges in your stocking. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because this is such a comedy on a, on a massive destructive scale. And a year later yeah. would be the Blues Brothers, which works completely mm-hmm. from beginning to end. And I think the difference is this. I think if you watch the way that... I, sometimes I was laughing at moments that were so over the top that felt like they were out of like you know, like vaudeville almost. Like that the, the scene where they're, you know, they're drowning and, and Marie Hamilton is like, you know, strangling Eddie Deason in the water. And it's like so ridiculous. It's so over the top. Well, we laugh for reasons that aren't intentional. No, because it, cause yeah. it's, it's so, it seems so outdated. Even when Spielberg's doing it, it feels like it's outdated. And the thing that's different about the Blues Brothers is that there's this, there's like an irony to it. And there's a coolness right. to it. That's right, right. And, the, and compare the way Dan Aykroyd acts in this to the way he acts in the yeah. Blues Brothers. Yeah. It, there's, it's like a night and day. Well, I think the trick is that it comes down to Spielberg doesn't... I think the comedy that happens in his other movies is, like you guys said, a byproduct of character and story, which yeah. he's good at. But it's almost like when he's trying to do actual comedy, he doesn't know what to do, so he just trusts the performers. Yeah. And he gives them so much rope mm-hmm. that everyone just hangs themselves. Yeah, repeatedly. Treat, Treat Williams has never given a performance like that for anyone else in any of them. No, he's a rapist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's in a movie. Rapist. Well, one of many. One of many. <laughs> that's true. Well, yeah. there's a, that's also very sort of uncomfortable. There's some, there, even in, in the first like fifteen minutes, it feels like there's like five or six weird phallic jokes. Of various stripes, well, the, yeah, the, 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 the periscope, the periscope yeah. and then this all sort of the ammunition, <laughs> all those huge bullets being yeah, 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 and, uh, and the stuff in the air, in the cockpit, yeah. the whole you know scene with what well, is her Matheson. character? That I can't remember her name. The one that's oh Donna, Nancy, yeah. Nancy, Nancy Allen. Allen's character. 
Yeah, like a one-note character. She's but she with no literally she will change with the wind. Yeah, she has less than one note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She is turned. She has like her definition is she is turned on by airplanes. Yeah, just by looking at them, they don't have to be flying. She gets turned on by airplanes, and all you can think of it's like the it's like the 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 egg thing that Treat Williams has is at what point in this character's backstory. Did they figure it out? Mm-hmm. Like when you can maybe say, you know, like, oh, he doesn't like eggs because of this. But at what point did she realize she can only be turned on in an airplane? It makes like less than no sense. Yeah. On a human level, and of course, this isn't a movie that has a human level. It doesn't need it. Yeah, and it's not like the men are necessarily well defined either. So <laughs> at sure, least yeah. it's balanced that way. Mm-hmm. But what does uh, Betty do? Like, what is she doing? The yeah. one she's the dancing the da- one. The dance partner. Yeah. She is good at dancing. Likes Wally, and is now on the USO. She has no further definite. Oh, and her dad doesn't like Wally, and no one should like Wally. He's a horrible person. And she, <laughs> has, and she has a friend who is in love with the... who is chasing the rapist. Yeah. But and so is that like a comment that well her standards are so lowered because she's a bigger girl? No, she wants the ha- she wants the more handsome men. I don't know. Yeah. But despite the fact that he's obviously a terrible human being, or well, is, or is are, are are the filmmakers genius because they're making a statement on Hollywood in America? Back in the forties, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems a little. There's a little well, bit. I mean, you know, he does tip the hat saying the general loves Dumbo, right? Right. Right. So, what's the social political, you know, thing of that? What What is the undercurrent of that? I think there's a lot of stuff. They literally were just trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because Spielberg, like you're saying, is is he he's the the tinge of irony isn't there to make it to make it. Play. You, know, you play, play as a yeah. comedy, or even it doesn't, uh, doesn't, yeah. doesn't play against anything. He 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 often goes to sentiment, and sentiment doesn't play in comedy. It's it's no. just, it's, it's just the wrong field. Is there sentiment in this? Well, there isn't. Yeah, you but know, then, yeah. does the that play to Zemeckis and Gill? Because they're the ones who have to write it. Right. But Spielberg is the one who I think has ultimate say in what goes and what doesn't. Yeah, you said Norm that Spielberg viewed this as ahead of its time. Yeah, on the documentary, uh, which is which was shot in the 90s for the Laserdisc and has existed in some form on all of the editions, he says that he he thought it was ahead of its time. He couldn't explain why until he played Doom. And then he realized that he'd made a first-person shooter, which this is not. Wow. Like, if anything, it's a side-scroller. It's not a video <laughs> game, but that was his argument, right? That he thought he had made a movie of pure momentum and pure action. He probably hasn't seen it since he I made mean, it. <laughs> I, mean, right? like, I can't imagine he revisits this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, to still misunderstand, like, so fundamentally what he had done is fascinating to me because this is a guy who knows everything about what he's doing. All of his other films. Like, you can look at Tintin and it's still, mm. for all of its CG and all of its excess, it's a good, solid piece of craft. It's got a chase scene in it that rivals, that demonstrates it can rival Raiders because it's untethered from reality and the camera can go anywhere. And I think that's the kind of movie he was trying to make with 1941. He just isn't capable of making it. Technology wouldn't let him. The script wouldn't let him. Nothing is in place for that to happen. It is amazing that the filmmaker that made 1941 also made Schindler's and Close Encounters and Always. But and, this is still pretty you know, early on in his career. Yeah. This is what? His fourth, fifth film. Yeah, but at this fourth point, he's film. already made like some of his most iconic films. Jaws. And Jaws, Jaws and Close Encounters. Encounters. And yeah. Disneyland Express, which is a great car chase oh, picture, right? Exactly, yeah. And Duel. Yeah. And Duel, yeah, which and is Duel. a great car chase yeah, picture. But then from here, he just never revisits comedy again as a straight genre. But there's even well, moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's even moments here though that, that again, like this, this, this sense of, of of seating that goes on. Like the next film he does after this is is Raiders, and there's elements of sort of like World War Two 
not I mean not comedy, but it's played for like light. The the villains are, you know, I think the villains in this are actually pretty good. I think Christopher Lee and Tashiro Mifune are actually pretty good as bad guys. But they're so contained. They're they're, they're, so they're playing a sub. Yes, but they're playing it pretty straight. They're playing it probably the way that it should be played, which is they're playing it as drama. They're not really playing it as comedy. Yeah, they don't condescend to the material, which I think is yeah. good. Right. And um, it was, it's funny, you mentioned that Robert Stack's character is the only one who's sort of rational on the American side. Christopher Lee's character is right all the time. <laughs> Except for the very, very end. He's the one who's saying, your instruments aren't any good, your crew is good, let's go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's actually correct. And it's kind of weird for a film to have the position where, oh, the leaders know what's going on, but the the The, the Nazi's men, the smartest man in the movie. The Nazi yeah. and, the, and the American general, too. But then you also have the other commanders, like War Notes who's too crazy to be around people. Mm-hmm. And, and Slim stuff. Pickens outsmarts them. Kinda. Yeah, yeah we just never Not see him again. Of. He does, it's right with the toilet. But then you're right, we never see him again. I think he shows up in the... He, no, he drowns. He drowns in the water. No. That's how it, that's <laughs> really? how it ends. No. Really? Is, uh, He's up on the bomb. I, do, doesn't he, I think he does make it back in the extended version and actually warns somebody. Not the version I watched. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, Is Warren Oates' character supposed to be a reference to uh, Battleship Potemkin? With his broken glasses. broken glasses, yeah. I think there's, but there are broken panes of glass everywhere. It's yeah. just like the, the cockpit is cracked. Yeah. In that sequence, just to make sure we understand just how wacky this guy. Right, is. Right, everything is skewed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a logical. Well, I, and he almost feels like an early version of the uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the the Nazi and Raiders that burns the. Yeah. He looks like Tote. Tote. Yeah. He does. His hand. Yeah. 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 I thought that too. Even the way that the guy falls when when uh, Belushi punches him, the guy who runs up to try and kick him, mm-hmm. he falls like the guy the, that he, falls and he punches him. He kicks and falls. Yeah, everyone. but he <laughs> but he right the, kicks the, and falls. the little yeah. guy who runs up to try and kick Belushi when he lands with uh, in the scene with Warren Oates. The way that he falls, he actually falls the way Indy falls in the 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 flying, the flying wing sequence. Wing yeah. sequence. Right, you know, right. I wonder if it's the, the same stunt coordinator. Terry Leonard, it is. Is it? Yeah, That's probably Terry. why. They'll so often... does 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 that forgive no the, <laughs> the the experience that is 1941 the fact that he developed a bunch of stuff for later films like yeah, he's, well, just, like, yeah he's I, trying stuff out yeah i think so i think so because i don't think you get the sense of economy that he practiced in raiders without this movie because, well it's just great to see someone so talented fail yeah it is on, on an experiment it's kind of an experimental film for him. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, he does take a lot of these tricks and puts it in other stuff. Because mm-hmm. the scenes are all well-constructed and, and, and oh, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, it's still textbook Spielberg. Textbook Spielberg. <laughs> textbook. Textbook. From a shooting textbook. standpoint, but from a comedy standpoint. No, no, not, like, at all. Yeah. not at all. There's some scenes that's like, how did you move on from that? How yeah. did you feel that you actually got a scene there yeah. that's usable in any sort of way? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, we were watching the movie, and it's like, oh, that's great, let's move on, we got it. Yeah. The, uh, the cockpit scene with uh, Tim Matheson going, there's no radio in here. And it's like, that exchange is funny to you? Yeah. That's enough? And it goes on. Yeah. It's, it's I don't like, like it if it goes on, it's line. funny. It's, yeah. it's not just the yeah. rule of three, it's yeah. the rule of eight. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think right. this is where we have to discuss the cocaine factor. <laughs> uh, I don't know that Spielberg ever had a particular issue with it, but you, there, like, there's coke sweat all over this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, we were talking about Phantom of the Paradise a little earlier, which you know Nancy Allen's husband, Brian De Palma, made. And there's like some sort of weird cross-contamination between that film and this film because they're both these amazing, operatic, incredibly detailed fantasias that only make sense to the people inside them. Mm. Like, from the outside, you're just, what were you thinking? But Phantom of the Paradise plays... 
1941 is just this non-stop bump after bump after bump coke bender. Uh, it's, I don't know what it is even now. I think you're talking to a room full of people that have never really done coke, so. <laughs> well, I think it feels like it's one of the nails in the coffin, right? It feels like it's, it's sort of 1941, Apocalypse Now, despite the fact that it was good and a great movie, um, the sort of the director out of control hmm. leading up to like, you know, yeah, Heaven's Gate. This sort of like, that's, that's right? the, that's, all right, we're done with this. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, we're not letting the, you run free. The, the yeah. terrifying peak of the, of the auteur era. Yeah. Just before it all comes crashing back down. Yeah, we, just, we did, I did uh, Heaven's Gate on the podcast. That's uh, that's three and a half hours of my move, of my life. I do not get back. Yeah. <laughs> is there good, I didn't is, hate it. Is it's, there good stuff in it? I haven't never seen. It's it. worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. But it's a it's a beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Have you read Final Cut? It didn't no. come up yeah. in the, in the yeah. episode. It's Stephen Vox's book. He was at United Artists it's at the great. time, oh. and it's a chronicle oh. of it. It's amazing. It's yeah. An incredibly gripping story of. Directorial chaos and excess, and yeah. I'm just the only reason that we don't have a book like that about 1941. I think is because everybody rebounded so quickly. Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of had ruin to. Anything. That's the amazing thing is that nobody was really ruined by this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, this wasn't well, really a flop, was it? Like, yeah. it, was, it was a flop by Spielberg terms. In terms, like, it didn't make as much I think money. It, I think it did lose money just in terms of scale because mm-hmm. it was so expensive. What was yeah. the reception when it came out? This is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is dead shot silence. And this yeah. was a Christmas picture. Yeah. This was a big Christmas release from Universal in 1979. This I was their big it, deal. I remember ads for this all over the TV. I remember this on the back of comic books. Yeah, yeah. There was a heavy metal adaptation, a comic book release. Oh, that's right. That was and it's absolutely it, pornographic. That's right. What kind of stuff? I remember seeing that in, as a kid in the store. What kind of stuff goes on in uh, the... the Christopher Lee character actually turns into a werewolf by the end or a vampire. No, he turns what? into a vampire. Treat Williams' character turns into a werewolf, sort of, kind of. They just they, they just exaggerate what? every aspect. Oh, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> I mean, it really is. like it, It's like they were working from an unfinished right. script, let alone a, a cut of the film, and they just figured out where the logical endpoints were. And they were actually more right than wrong. If they'd gone all the way and turned it into like a Tex Avery cartoon, mm-hmm. maybe it would have played. Maybe yeah. it would have worked better anyway. The only the only character that like really comes off as consistently pretty amusing and funny is Belushi for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Belushi though. I mean, the just just the scene where he's trying to get into the sub, it it plays the way I saw it was like Spielberg's there is like John, you're trying to get in the sub, go. Yeah, yeah. But it's and, just, like, it's he pure, just does funny stuff. It's just his pure confidence. Like even when he's like surrounded by the Japanese, he's like. Take me to Tokyo. Yeah. As opposed to them just capturing, he's like, "No, I want to go. Like, you, you can't capture right, me." Right. That's well, great. That one I'm scene, commandeering this ship. There's that one scene where he, uh, I think they're on the street, and Belushi's talking, and then he 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 buzzes the he talks right into the camera. Yes. Yeah. And then he looks away. I'm like, that is he's so con- convincing yeah. in that scene, but it's there's he's saying nothing. The scene is so poorly written that there's no, like if it he if they just had better words. I was yeah. kind yeah. of amazed how little dialogue he actually has. That right. first hour, every time he appears, he's like Popeyeing his dialogue. Like you're saying yeah. he's going back and forth from New York to there to yeah. Shoot, so. He was actually yeah. He when made could he this, learn the lines? Yeah, it's incredible though because it's all this weird instinctual performance, and because he's separated both by the logistics of the production because he wasn't there for like half a week every time he would. I think it was Wednesday. He flew back to New York, came back on Sunday, yeah. and shot three days and went back again on Wednesday for over and over and over again. He couldn't work with anybody else. All his scenes are in a cockpit. He's right. got two mm-hmm. scenes where he interacts with people. Three, right? The gas station, right. the sub, and the landing. 
Yeah. And he kills everyone in the gas war- station. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. He's, Warren with, he's with uh, he's with Warren Oates. That's with Nancy Allen. Or not scene Nancy was amazing. Allen. The Warren Oates like, scene. Just, oh, just him walking through them, pouring the coffee, takes a sip, and spits it. And on it's, all, it's, a, it's a big. It's a great Spielberg winner. Yep. It's a really great Spielberg winner. Yeah. Uh, well, the question I wanted to put to everybody is: Is there a director at that time who you think could have done a better job with this? Who could have actually like brought it to life? Mel Brooks. Oh, seriously? I was going to say Landis. Who's there? He's in the movie. Yeah. Right? Wasn't Landis approached at first? Like, <laughs> and he probably said, I don't want anything yeah. to do with this. Because <laughs> <laughs> what had he just done? He did Animal House and then this. Like, then and then in Blues this Brothers. And then Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. So, yeah, it probably wasn't time to prep it. it probably, I think yeah. Warren got it right. He said one time on the show and he's like, no. <laughs> What's that? Nobody uh, wanted he, probably, he probably read the script and said, ah, this, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop by for a day and do a bit it, hard for it's you. It's sad but. because you see uh, John Candy, Joe Flaherty, um, Dan Aykroyd, Joseph P. Flaherty, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He sees, you know, and and oh, it's too bad this thin. movie wasn't great. The talent, yeah. Yeah. Was the care, the budget they had, the cast they have. It's like it's just a shame. Some yeah. of that stuff. Feels but is that like, a blame on Spielberg or is that a blame on the script? Again, I have to bring it back to that. Well, he's in. I I I, he's I would say the script. Spielberg, like because he's elevated bad scripts and made. It's not like it's his second movie where he doesn't have a, a lot of creative control and say. Yeah. He's, at, he's at a point of his career where he can go veto stuff, yeah. Yeah. and he's not. I think, it's, I think the best way to view this, as Warren kind of pointed out, is like, this is Spielberg's experimental film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's trying it's stuff like, out. Why not try this? Yeah, and, it's like, and also he probably already had his next two films already under contract, so who gives a shit if it doesn't work? You know, he's already doing well enough. What, what, what did he make after this? Raiders. Raiders. And Raiders. And yeah. yeah. So as soon as Raiders comes out, it blows the everything out of the water, and no one cares about 1941. Yeah. Right. But, but again, that was because Lucas said, because Lucas was always like a very, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, he, he was very aware of how much money was being spent, the bottom line, and he told me he only spend so much. I was actually reading recently that Raiders... Was made. I think originally there was a schedule of about eighty-four days or something, but Spielberg had also made a second schedule and a second budget that was for like seventy-two days, and he brought it in for the for the shorter schedule for yeah. less money. Because I think he needed to prove to people that he actually could pull something off that was lean and mean, and it makes a huge difference well, in his well, career. When you look at this compared to Raiders, like this feels so overindulgent. Yeah. In terms of like just the spectacle. And Raiders feels restrained. So Everything about it. Do you think it, yeah. Raiders is as good as it is because the 1941 was as bad as it was? I think I, it helps. That's a great theory. That if it wasn't for 1941... Raiders wouldn't have been as good. Let's go with that. And then you go with E.T., which is even smaller. Yeah. You know? Until the end. Like, yeah. it's, in, it's in a house. For yeah. Well, it's almost day. like he was going down this path which is like, gotta go bigger, gotta do something yeah. fancier. Yeah. And then... It was almost like he hit rock bottom with this movie. Yeah. It was like the, the coke sweat. He just went, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. He just woke up the next morning going, oh my God, what have, what's, what have I done? That would be amazing. You black out for six months and you wake up next to next to six Nine pails of filler. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this thing? I'm sure they have the same back Also coming off the yeah. crazy success of Jaws and Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing I think, uh, and, and you, Jeremy, out of us in the room have come as close as possible is having a hit and once you have a hit it it does it does change certain ways of how you approach material don't you think in terms of like if if um if small town orgy came out and did 
crazy business. Right. Um, it, 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 you, I don't know. I, I, I can see how Jaws and Close Encounters can fuck with your head. They really fuck with you. Does yeah. it become like a dragon you chase? Like you have to do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, the I, I'm the inverse. I've never had a hit. You know, I'm still <laughs> chasing the dragon. But I, once you taste that that a little bit of success, it could really cloud your judgment on how you how you go about making your, your film or constructing your story. Mm. I don't know. Well, it's interesting, yeah. actually, though, as we're talking about it, that after E.T., after he goes, like, micro... He goes to do Temple of Doom, which is the closest thing he has probably in his catalog to 1941. Right. In terms of tone and stuff. In terms of tone, I mean, it's a lot more controlled. I think Temple of Doom is a lot better, obviously, than 1941. But yeah, it it operates on a huge scale. Huge. The beginning, the ending, like every every sequence is gigantic. Yeah. Last Crusade isn't that complicated. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kind of is, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We don't talk about that one. What? What movie? What? I never heard about that movie. And then what was the movie right after Crystal Skull that he did? He uh, immediately after it would have been... Was it been... Munich after that? Or... No, 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 Munich was 95, Crystal Skull was 2008. So. Oh, okay. Right, so what was it after? Um, to the internet? <laughs> to the yeah. internet! Uh, no, we're not going to bother. I mean, I mean, it, you know, how, how much does humility play in the level of work that you do? You know what I mean? Like after having a, a rough ride, mm. do you want to prove yourself more? And after having a great ride, do you think you're as good as you are and you don't need to work as hard? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can see for him it's like the idea of not wanting to repeat yourselves outside of making multiple sequels to certain things. Like, you know, he goes back, he revisits Jurassic Park. He revisits, you know, Indiana Jones four times. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, That can't be it. Is that it? For sequels? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, But he'll work with the same actor a bunch of times. He'll he'll stay in his comfort zone a lot. Yeah, or he'll make another war film. Well, the fact there's so many Jaws actors in this movie that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, little little character actors. Yeah, well, but I, I do think, like, I like your, your kind of metaphor for this one, where it's just like he's gotten to a point where he's just, I just want to try some stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to play around, and if I fail, I fail. I'm, he's kind of untouchable at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, with Jaws, it's more of a thriller, horror. With Close Encounters, he got giant sci-fi, now he wants to try and do comedy. And with comedy, it's not really his success. So then he goes back. He does something that he's kind of passionate about. He does this, the action serials of, of uh, the 40s, stuff that he used to watch and does indie. He does... Well, it's not... Like, I mean, he does E.T. And that's, like, like we said, smaller scale. Very personal, that, though. Like, yeah, very, very personal. personal. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what's interesting. Is like you look at a lot of filmmakers' careers, and you know, a lot of people argue that they do their best work in their first couple of films because they're the most personal to them. Then after a while, they're just part of the machine, and they got to keep on working, and they got to keep on doing stuff. So they start making things that are less personal. Where I think that's around this time right now for Spielberg, and then he goes back and he starts telling the small like ET is probably one of his most personal films, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and it's almost like he just allows himself to go. Oh, I don't have to just keep on going bigger. I can I can mine something that's bigger inside of me. And he boomerangs in a different direction after. Uh, Temple of Doom because he does the color purple yeah. Empire of the Sun right like mm-hmm. his big important films. which is which is probably in reaction to Temple of Doom and how that was received mm. yeah yeah probably because there was an outcry when it came out people were like this is not the Indiana Jones like too violent yeah too he's, scary he's, too he's dark sadistic and the the I think it's co- his compass when it starts to 
go off true north, mm-hmm. he starts to question things, maybe. Yeah. But who knows? Like, well, Spielberg can do whatever the fuck he wants. Well, it's funny, because <laughs> nobody would have complained about this movie, the fact that it's a PG movie back yeah. in 1980. By 84, you've got four years of Reagan already, a very different conservative culture. And when not, I mean, obviously, the Temple of Doom and 1941 are very different films, but things like the heart being ripped out, things that are... Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, between also, that, but way more people saw Temple of Doom. Than sure, sure, but essentially, <laughs> but essentially created. But I think people were accepting of things like that yeah. in in PG movies back then. But I mean, Temple of Doom and Gremlins created the PG thirteen rating, mm-hmm. and I think uh, you know there and there's and there, also there's some there's some there's some uncomfortable racism in Temple of Doom as well. Sure. There's lots of things that haven't aged very well in that movie. Sure. Uh, those both kind of feel like movies that I mean he's talked more about Temple of Doom as being a film that he sort of disowns now. Right, but it's still a success, right? It's the same it is. He talks about sure. Close Encounters and how he wouldn't make the same movie now because he wasn't willing to leave sure. his family at this point. Like mm-hmm. when he was a kid, he would think about the one-year character representing himself. <clears throat> but I was thinking about like in the context of what he's comfortable talking about in 1941 in the in the uh, in the documentary, he's really still proud of a lot of it. He doesn't. Show a lot of humility. I gotta watch this. It's fascinating. <laughs> I gotta watch yeah. it. You should yeah. go right back home and watch YouTube. It's, does he seem kind of amused that they got away with it? Yeah. Yeah. Like now it's okay. We can come back. But I think this is also right at the start of the Laserdisc documentary stuff, where people were Laurent Buzero was just making a career out of hanging around Spielberg and making these movies about his movies, mm-hmm. and so he's almost flattered to be talking about it again so soon after its destruction. Right. And I was thinking, like, has this ever happened? Has there ever been another director who flopped this hard and got another chance to really come back to the top? Like, Heaven's Gate crippled Chimino. He never made another movie that ambitious again. Spielberg just got up again and made Raiders. It's like, he, sh- he shook this off so quickly. I mean, it is a learning experience, probably, right? But I don't know if anybody else would have had that opportunity to to make good again especially not now not not today yeah let me look at someone like M. Night Shyamalan it took him a long time to go back around he had to go back to like you know like zero budget movies to yeah well I mean after I guess with Shyamalan it's like where do you see the what's the worst one Avatar right the last airbender yeah that was an expensive disaster yeah but so was the happening and that was before that's it sort of this gradual kind of dissolution water yeah Yeah. that's that's kind of the the beginning of the end yeah and then then you have other I like laying in the water (laughs) really what I do too I I I really liked it it's a weird fever dream it it is it's just a weird movie I mean I think when you find anomalies like 1941 in, in someone's repertoire it's easy to really zone in and harp about it, but mm. um, I wonder. If there is something to be said about just fucking trying something. And, and, I, and I wonder if he has a fondness for it because I'm sure he had a good time making it. Sure, yeah, that right. might have been just it. It's like yeah, yeah. I'm with really funny people. Yeah, I'm having fun. There, everyone's laughing on set. Yeah, this is gonna be great. Isn't that? Don't they always say that, Warren? Well, You're laughing on yeah, set. It's... I mean, <laughs> I think I think as the director, you need to be very cognizant of what is actually funny and. Mm. And, like, you just need to do it. You need to do it over and over again to hone that. Yeah, you have to build up your own litmus test. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and if you don't have an innate sense of comedy, this is what happens. Right. Because, like you said, the shot selection, the way he crafts the scenes, some of them are great. Oh, yeah. But just so off. 
but they but don't it's actually, a funny standpoint. It doesn't know when to stop. Yeah. It never knows when to quit. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. always one more beat. Something explodes or falls over. The shower turns on. And I, I think I think the rule of eight is the best way of describing this movie. Yeah. Doesn't it's, understand the rule of three. He but, thinks it's jazz. And well, it's just yeah. 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 But he also doesn't know how to frame for comedy. Right. Like if you watch this movie, it's shot. It's lens just like everything else he shoots. Yeah. I think uh, like the the purest form of comedy in this film is the the dance hall. Fight. Yes, sure. Yes, because it, it's entirely staged, like a dance. Yeah, or a lot of the pratfalls that we laughed at in the room are the wider shots. You see the action; someone falls over. Mm-hmm. It's physical comedy, and mm-hmm. it's on the beat. Like it, yeah. this is the stuff that Edgar Wright is doing in Baby Driver. It's yeah. sinking. The, I was the thinking that's funny you say that because that opening scene, mm-hmm. not, the, not the opening, but the scene in the um, uh, in the kitchen, the diner kitchen. The yeah. way it's, it's they're sticking it up to the music. I thought this is. I almost said this is like a baby driver, sort of a, a precursor, embryonic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, 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 I would bet. I would bet if you had your right here, you'd have some. You know, interesting He'd things like, to say. No, that movie shit. <laughs> I know, you know this is. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. He would be able to draw a line to it. When we were talking about baby driver when he came through, mm-hmm. he. Um, I was I was just rattling off all the stuff that I was sure was an influence, and he said that he stole one. Oh God, I'm going to forget what it was now. Uh, we were talking about all of these ticks and things that he borrowed from stuff, and oh, and Hudson Hawk came up because then it's like, yeah, obviously the swinging on a star thing, right? Yeah, and they even make a point of synchronizing the caper to a song. That's and, a little bit. And he said, "Well, you know, I don't really like Hudson Hawk except for that one sequence." Like, yeah, but you took that one sequence. Yeah, That's, yeah, you yeah, made yeah, a movie yeah, out of it. That's yeah, how yeah, influences yeah. work. It's okay to admit it. I yeah. mean, I wonder what Spielberg would claim were the influences for this. Well, the pretty. Himself, himself? <laughs> yeah. Doctor Strange love. I mean, he does yeah. a whole Doctor Strange sure. love riff. Obviously, Russians are coming. Cocaine. The Russians are coming. Cocaine. <laughs> Cocaine. But there's yeah. Keystone Cops stuff in here. There's stuff yeah. that predates Looney Tunes. Well, and and yeah. the Abba Costello, yeah. who's that's on first. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what they're trying to do with that moment. Yeah. It sounds very yeah. A lot of it's very 1930s style comedy. Yeah. It's just not. Which makes sense because that's what he grew up on, right? Like some of that stuff. Like some of the stuff where everyone's like running down the street after each other. Like I can see like a, a Joe Dante pulling that off. Yeah. Doesn't work with Spielberg again because everything is invested with too much import. There's too much weight on the comedy. Yeah, it's not it's not light enough. Like the from the lensing is heavy. That's it. What did, what did you expect and what did you see? Yeah, I I first of all for some reason I thought it was in black and white. Okay, what? I don't know why because really? of the 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 year. I think cause of, <laughs> I think because of production stills or photos I've seen from there are all right. black and white. Oh, okay. Kelso's and so missed. I thought maybe it was like Spielberg's first black and white film. I don't know why I thought that maybe. Then of course the opening scene came up and I realized it wasn't. I had no expectations. Um, I I just kind of couldn't wait for it to be over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and not in that I I kind of enjoyed the ride mostly because I think like Mark. If I hadn't been sitting here watching with you guys and kind of, you know, giving it shit as we were watching it, <laughs> I think I might have turned it off. Right. I don't know if I would have made it all the way through. Right. Uh, especially as it's getting towards the ending and you're like, oh, they're building... Nope, that's not the ending yet. <laughs> we're building... Oh, uh, nope. So <laughs> it felt... It just... You know, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. Right. I have no need to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also one of those movies that my son will have to know exists before I recommend he check it out because he's he's like he's a completionist he goes through and tries to watch them all and he's a big Spielberg nerd too right you can't save him no this is gonna happen I don't know well it's 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 the it's the movie that Spielberg did that you have no idea why he made it or what it's yeah what what is it trying to say what is 1941 really trying to say I don't think that the that the that the 
process of war is insane and everyone's crazy that is involved with it. And Americans shouldn't fight Americans. American right. paranoia is what kills everyone. Is, is it Doctor Strange love know, for dumb people? Kind of. <laughs> nice. Ah, that's the new tagline. Yeah. What yeah. is he trying to say with this film? And, and I don't think. I think that's why it's his, his, his weakest film. Not because much. Every other film you can kind of go, okay, I get it. I yeah, so a family who talks about this. Yeah. yeah. I think his, yeah, I think the mission statement is, I like jokes. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, you think you do, yeah. but you don't. Yeah. You don't. Well, when we're watching the film, it's like, John Williams uh, scored this. I wonder what he was thinking while he was, uh, you know, putting the score up and getting his... Uh, his, uh, Assembling his, his symphony together and, and the strings and the horns and like what the fuck was he thinking when he was scoring this and you said I like money <laughs> <laughs> on that note yeah. uh, final thoughts uh, it is as chaotic as I remember I'll say that like when I was 10 or 11 I was fascinated by this because it looks like a comedy it sounds like a comedy it, it acts it behaves in a way that should be funny but none of it works. And it's like watching... Yeah, it's John Williams' orchestra is actually a really great negative image of the film because all of those pieces are moving in perfect synchronicity and unison, and the music is kind of beautiful. It's rousing. There are shots where, with, combined with the score, where you almost have an inspirational war movie. Like It looks like the thing it's trying to be, but it's not mm. funny. And so you're constantly watching this movie refuse to... Be what you need it to be and what the filmmakers need it to be so yeah that's something that Jesus 40 years later now or 38 years later I have the exact same reaction which is <laughs> why why doesn't this click like you just wait for it to happen and it never does right I feel so disappointed from this film <laughs> uh, I, I, I really do I'm kind of ashamed now that I own this I, 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 I have the DVD change, right here. I, I'm looking at it right films. now. I just <laughs> in terms of like the whole Spielberg oeuvre, it it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like a Spielberg film at all. There, there's none of this whimsy that he has in there, except for like I said, the the the, the dance room scene. But I feel what doesn't make it click is that they're not all because there's so many subplots or so many characters. They're not all for one specific goal. This is such an ensemble comedy. Like it's a mad, mad, mad world. Except you can enjoy that one because they're not good. <laughs> except not good, but they're all working towards like a a similar goal. There's yeah, no similar story. There's a story. Yes, there's no similar goal in 1941. You've got the guy who's desperate to get the girl. You have the you have Belushi's character who's just fighting in a plane. He's the only one has a goal. Stop the. <laughs> okay, that's true. That is. Well, I mean, then also the 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 Germans and the Japs. They have the what? Sorry, the, sorry. Whoa. That's what they're referred to in the films. That's why popular culture is wrong. <laughs> That's what they're referred to in the film. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the Germans and the Japs. Can we talk about what the original title of this film was? Do you know the original? The, original the Germans and the Japs. <laughs> no, the original title of the film that John Milius pitched to Zemeckis and Gale. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Do you know, the night the Japs attacked. Oh yes, would not have Ooh. yeah, would not have it's, aged it's well. Still an accurate title. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I'm it, sorry. No, I, I, no, no, no. That's rant. totally fine. Yeah. Now it's completely lost my train I'm of so, thought. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Sorry, no, that was so completely sorry. necessary. They, all the the Japanese and the and the and Christopher Lee's Nazi. It's too late. Right. It's too late. Yeah, too, <laughs> too late. Axis all right. powers. The Axis, yeah, the Axis powers. powers. They also have a goal. Oh, yeah, they yeah. want they want to invade America. By invading Hollywood, however, th this movie's so jumbled 
that it, it just doesn't work. Well, there's and, the Santa Monica house, there's the dance-off, there's, you know, he, yeah, the Ferris wheel guy. Again, there's no common goal for all of these subplots to come together yeah. until they do, mm. right oh, at the very end. Oh, so, right, sorry. And I realized the other huge problem with the film, which I guess... <laughs> no, oh, now you realize it. <laughs> no, but, but you just articulated it. Like, none of this shit would be happening. Pearl Harbor happened 12 hours earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there is no... Imagine a 9-12 comedy, mm-hmm. right? Like, no, but there's a wow. 9-11 film coming out wow. in September. I know, I know. With Charlie Sheen and Whoopi Goldberg. I don't want to talk no. about it. I want to see a 9-12 comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Someone could probably pull it off. It won't be me. Chris, final thoughts? I, yeah, I just have the same feeling that, that's been already been expressed. It does not feel like a Spielberg movie. I actually, I flashed back to the first time that I realized i think it was maybe i don't know four or five years after this movie came out because again it was so the advertising for it was such a carpet bomb when i was a kid like it was on again on tv it was in comics and i actually remember like flipping back through one of those old comics four or five years later and looking at the at the 1941 ad and then zeroing in on the name steven spielberg and i'm thinking wait it was like i remember just my world starting to spin like how could this be and then seeing it on, you know, again, like seeing an afternoon screening of it on TV and thinking, this is just, everything with this seems wrong. Like, it actually reminded me this time of, it felt like a, a really well-directed, like, Bob Clark movie. Okay. You know, like it had, even like this, the, the whole... Might sub- be the, it might be the, also the cinematography, because it's very... Well, it's got, the, that, it's got that sort 80s, of, yeah, a Christmas story. It, well, yeah, the, the, yeah, the stuff with, with, with uh, um, Ned Beatty and, and Lorraine Gary has a mm-hmm. bit of a Christmas story feel to mm-hmm. it. Like, it's got the sort of, like, it's, it, it's, a, little, it's a little garish. But even, like, the, the subplot with Nancy Allen and, and Tim Matheson feels like something out of Porky's. Feels like the whole Kim Cattrall yeah. subplot sure. from... It just, it just sure. has a very... There's an ugliness to it that I didn't remember from uh, before. I think it just a, it shows how far we've come. I think we're a lot more enlightened now about what's what's funny and what's appropriate. Right. You know, the fact that this would have been a PG movie at Christmas that kids would go see with their families is just, I mean, it's bonkers to me. So I don't know. It's I feel like I never have a, a need to see it again. Simultaneously, I'm really curious to find out and maybe watch the scenes that were cut out. I want to take I, my DVD. Clearly, I want to know. No I want to know. I want to know how this could be longer, and wh- what's missing. So then, would you would you recommend this for Spielberg completionists like absolutely hundred percent? But not now. No. At this age, do you think? I don't. No. No. <laughs> no. no Once sure. he reaches fourteen, then we'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. Wait until his attitudes towards women are developed. Yeah. yeah. I think it's and, oh yeah. And concrete and, yeah. and yeah. well well maintained. It really, it really is just strikes so many sour, sour notes. Oh, it's it's terrible. It's yeah, we haven't even didn't really get dig into that. Final you know, thoughts. I, I, well, I think 1941 makes me want to be a better Japanese Canadian. <laughs> nice. That's a fantastic note to go out on. We should all be better Japanese Canadians. <laughs> and you know, I I think it's it is fascinating, like a car uh, car accident, to see a really phenomenal filmmaker fail on so many levels. That's and spectacular. To, and, to, and actually just watch it yeah. and go, this is a spectacular failure, and I know how he rebounded with his the work right after. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, I like... And, and, and you get it when you make movies. It's like, 
you get misguided and bad movies happen all the time, but to really fail at, at that level with, with this kind of talent involved mm-hmm. is spectacular. Mm. And it doesn't, it shouldn't happen. <laughs> but it does. It happens all the time. It does feel like the answer to a really horrible trivia question. Right? Yeah. What if I told you there was a movie with all of these people <laughs> yeah. written by these guys, directed yeah. by this guy? And How good would it be? And it's, yeah. unwa- <laughs> it's borderline unwatchable. I actually have a, a question. I know we're trying to wrap it up, but has did history record what Tashira Mifune thought of this movie? I or- like money. <laughs> I think that is the answer to most of the uh, the answers to this question. But no, I mean at the time it probably looked on, on paper like, oh, this guy came out Jaws, Close Encounters. Probably, you know, I'm sure that he could sit down with Mifune and talk about like 20 sure. Kurosawa films. Sure, absolutely. But do you? Th- but what do we know? Like, what did he think about that? What did he? Sure. Yeah. I don't think he figures in the documentary at all, other no. than the exoticism of oh, Stephen could cast anybody he wanted, so he got Christopher Lee into Shirley Mifune. Yeah. I think that's basically it. I'd be really curious to know if there's any sort of like Japanese language interviews where he talked about like his his feelings on. I know. It. I know. I know. Writer after that, do not ask him questions. <laughs> I know. I know how I feel after doing something absolutely reprehensible yeah. as a film project. Yeah. I went out and did a fringe play. <laughs> right. So let's see what Tishiro Mifuni did right after this. Kind of. uh, good point. Our house. Good point. <laughs> So. Yeah. Cleanse the Found an orphanage. Just yeah. do something with the money. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Thanks for hosting, Norm. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. This was fun. This was great. It was a black hole now filled. Black hole now filled. And you never have to see it again. <laughs> Ugh, it's, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks for joining us for 1941. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lalon Jeremy and check out Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.